Pickle Baptist Church. If you are new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have a Bible, please go ahead and turn your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, some in front of you in the pew. Grab one of the black ones and go to Luke chapter 2. That is uh, found on page 858 of the church Bible. Right into the heading, the boy Jesus in the temple. We'll be reading from verse 41 down through the end of chapter 2. Thus far in the Gospel of Luke, we have seen angels from on high announce the birth of the Lord Jesus. We have witnessed the birth of the Lord Jesus. We have seen uh, prophecies, predictions about the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And now we see that Jesus is back in the temple, this time for a festival. This is the only information that we have on the life of Jesus from his birth into the beginning of his ministry, somewhere around the age of 30. This is a precious section of Scripture. So if you will read with me, we are in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. I'll read down to verse 52, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and we'll get to work. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you please send your Holy Spirit here and speak through your word to your people to build them up and to encourage them to give them a sight of the divine glory that we see in your son, Jesus, even at the age of 12. Lord, move upon us now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I've been to Disney World something like 11 or 12 times. My grandparents would take me and my siblings almost every year of my childhood. The vast majority of these trips to Walt Disney World, I don't have much memory. 
But one trip in particular I will never forget. And it was the time that my younger brother Josh got lost at Walt Disney World. I am the oldest of my siblings, and uh, there are, as you know, certain unbreakable rules concerning being the oldest sibling. For example, when two siblings ride the Dumbo ride at Walt Disney World, it is the inalienable right of the oldest to push the little red button that makes the cart go up and back down. And that day, I was just following the rules. Well, my little brother Josh disagreed with these rules and insisted that when the ride was over, we would ride it again so that he could push the little red button. My grandmother and my grandfather couldn't stomach the idea of waiting in line for probably an hour or more in order for their two grandsons to ride a two-minute ride. And so he said no, and we moved on with my little brother protesting in tow. Well, Disney World is a big place. There are people everywhere. It's always busy. And at some point, my brother decided that he would go back to that Dumbo ride, even if his family wouldn't. I don't know how long it was before my grandparents noticed he was missing. I don't even remember how long he was missing. It felt like a very long time. But it was long enough for my grandparents to ask one of the workers for help. Another worker found a little boy wandering alone and must have followed protocol. They radioed around, and it wasn't long that they found us and led us to a lounge where Josh was safe, eating cookies, as I recall. And I don't think he ever got to ride the Dumbo ride. <laughs> if he had... Um, I'd have still pressed the red button. I mean, you know, certain inalienable rules. And some might be uh, resonating now with the story of Mary losing track of 12-year-old Jesus. My brother might have been lost for 15 minutes or longer. Jesus' parents couldn't find him for three days. You know, of course, Mary losing Jesus... It's not the same as my grandparents losing my little brother. I mean, Josh was in pursuit of a thrill of controlling an articulating arm on a kid's ride, and Jesus is found in the temple, being about the things of God, his Father. But this is what Luke wants us to see in this passage, that even at the age of 12, the Lord Jesus understood himself, and understood his purpose. He must be about his father's business. Here's the big idea this morning. Because Jesus went about and accomplished the things of God, you and I are free to give ourselves to the same, to discussing him with others. That because Jesus went about and accomplished the things of God, that you and I are free to give ourselves to the very same thing. Discussing Jesus. Discussing God with others. We'll unpack this section in three parts. First, we'll see that Jesus' parents raised him with the right priorities. We'll see that in verse 41 and 42. Second, we'll see 
that Jesus was always about his father's things. And that's the bulk of the passage from verses 43 to 50. Jesus was always about his father's things. And then finally, we'll see that Jesus submitted and grew in God's grace, which is verses 51 and 52. I'll repeat them as we go along so you can make notes if you like. First of all, look, Jesus was raised with the right priorities. Let's look at verses 41 and 42 again. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now Luke is at length so far in his gospel to show us that Joseph and Mary are God-centered, law-observant parents. We saw this last week when he was dedicated in the temple. We see that this week when they're going to the temple to... um, to celebrate the festival of Passover. So they go to Jerusalem at the feast of Passover every year. According to God's law, God's people were to observe three festivals every year. The feast of Passover in the spring, the feast of Pentecost, 50 days after that, and then finally the feast of booths or tabernacles in the fall. Three times every year, every male over the age of 13 was to travel to Jerusalem to observe the festivals. Parties, basically. And, and by the way, a side note here. I mean, some people have this idea that God's laws are these heavy-handed, oppressive, thou shalt nots. Telling people not to do all the things that they just love to do because God is mean and hates fun. But it's quite the opposite, actually. There are laws in the Bible that commanded God's people to stop working and go to parties and eat lots of food and hang out with their family and their friends. It's the law. Imagine if that were the case in our country. You could be arrested if you were working and not partying. These these festivals were built around the history of God's redemption of his people. For example, in the Passover, the one that they're observing here, it happens in the spring, and it's it's a time where they remember God delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. And God commanded them, he wanted them to remember that for a whole week, seven days of celebrations. Pentecost, which came 50 days later, was celebrated, celebrating the harvest and celebrating God's giving of his law to his people. After that came the festival of booths or tabernacles, which is like a week-long camping trip, which might seem oppressive to some of you, uh, but it's, it's, it's this festival where you'd build temporary housing and you would hang out and you would share meals together and you would remember how the Lord provided for your people while they wandered through the wilderness. Like I said, every male over the age of 13 was required to go to Passover. And Joseph, we see in these verses, he's taking his whole family. He's taking his whole family. Their custom was that they would do this every year. Travel from Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, that's not a short journey. It's 80 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem on foot. It would take a couple of days. They would travel in these large groups together with their family, with their friends. They would sing songs as they went up to Jerusalem. Now, by this time, Jesus is 12 years old. By this time, Joseph and Mary probably had other children. 
course, Jesus was the oldest. One wonders whether or not the Apostle James was born yet. Maybe Jesus is keeping an eye on some of his siblings. But as they went up to Jerusalem, they would join up with other groups of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. And it was a big, big joyous occasion. By the time they got to Jerusalem, the city is packed. There's some 200,000 people passing through the city gates and going into the city. Every available space would be rented. It would be much like the festivals you might have attended. The city was hopping. People were everywhere. Merchants were everywhere selling their goods and their crafts from their Etsy stores. There were animals everywhere, especially sheep at this time. It would have been loud and busy. Can you imagine the sights and the smells? And when the sun came up on Passover morning, the family would remove all the leaven from their home and burn it. And around three in the afternoon, the Passover lamb, be offered as a sacrifice, as the people would collectively remember the way God protected his people from death during the plagues in Egypt. Oh, you have to wonder, don't you, whether or not Joseph brought his boy Jesus to, him, to the temple with him, where he would have seen thousands of priests lined up getting ready to, to sacrifice the Passover lamb from every family. Jesus seeing all of these worshipers and all these priests sacrifice, sacrificing Passover lambs, knowing full well that all of this was pointing to him. What a fascinating thought. Joseph would have offered his lamb, and taken his meat back to his family where they would share a feast together and remember the Lord's deliverance. Joseph and Mary made this a family custom. These are good parents. They raised their children in the rhythms of a God-centered life. They didn't have to bring the whole family, but they did. And we don't know if this is Jesus' first time at the Passover, but we know that Joseph took him at least one year before he was required. Joseph is a good father, teaching his son through regular participation in the community of faith. And there's a word here for young families. Parents, encourage regular spiritual habits in your home and in your weekly calendar. To my parents' credit, we went to church every Sunday. And they didn't force us. It's just what we did. There was never a question on Saturday evening. Do you want to go to church tomorrow? It's just what we did. And my parents had five kids. More than that, when I was growing up, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights were reserved for church. It's just what you did. You didn't do sports when church was on. We would have people into our home regularly. I have fond memories of listening to my parents talking about the things of God with their friends from church. This was our family rhythm. So parents, create customs. Maintain regular spiritual habits in your home. I'm often so encouraged by the young families of our church. 
Parents, I'm so proud of you. Getting your kids together on a Sunday morning, getting them all dressed and bringing them to church, it's a monumental task, especially when they're young. Monday through Saturday is a a cakewalk compared to Sunday morning. There's just something about it. I don't know what it is. But many of you do it week after week. So I just got to say to you, well done. Well done. I know that God is pleased with you. The sacrifices you make, the frustrations you endure to get your kids ready to show up at church on Sunday morning. Well done. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 43 down to 50. As I said, this is really the meat of the passage. Let's have a look again. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. They did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, can you imagine? Three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding, his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Why are you doing this to me? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying. He spoke to them. After seven days in Jerusalem with family and friends, the festival was over. It was time to go home. Mary and Joseph would have packed their things and coordinated this 80-mile trip back to Nazareth. Now, those of you who are parents of tweeners, You can understand how these things happen, can't you? Traveling in a large group, lots of family with you, a lot of friends with you, tight community. Joseph probably assumed Jesus was with Mary. Mary probably assumed the same thing. If they were together, they probably assumed that Jesus was with aunts and uncles and cousins. And they leave Jerusalem. Jesus stays behind. But after a day's journey, maybe they stop for the night, corralling the family together. They noticed Jesus is missing. I wonder if Mary had one of those moments where she sat up quickly and was like, Kevin! (laughs) And they searched for him among their family and among their friends. He's nowhere. I cannot imagine the panic. You're a day out of Jerusalem, probably 20 miles or so. There's no cell phones. There's no two-way radios. You're in absolute panic. And you can't travel back at nighttime. So you have to wait till tomorrow morning. You think either Joseph or Mary slept that all that night. I mean, what do you think they're thinking? God becomes flesh and I lost him. How do you even pray? God, I lost your son. And they're one day out, which means they're one day back. 
must have been the longest day and night of their life. But they find him. And where do they find him? Sitting in the temple. Among the teachers discussing the things of God. Twelve years old. At twelve years old, I was all about the legend of Zelda on my Nintendo. At 12 years old, Jesus is about discussing the things of God with Bible scholars. But the point is that at 12 years old, Jesus had a profound knowledge of who he is. He had an irresistible draw to the temple to be about the things of his father. This is no ordinary boy. This is God become man. Look what he's doing, verse 46 and 47. He's sitting among the teachers. He's listening. He's asking questions. He's expressing his understanding. And he's giving answers. Luke says that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That word understanding refers to a holistic, comprehensive understanding, taking many things and bringing them together. And this is one of the great mysteries of the Incarnation, that God the Son, all-knowing, all-self-sufficient, lays aside a certain number of his divine attributes, becomes man. Hebrews 2.17 says that he was made like his brothers in every respect so that he can sympathize with us who have weaknesses. So that he can know what it's like to learn. Then comes Jesus' answer in verse 49. Actually, go back up to verse 48. The parents, they, they, Joseph and Mary, they see Jesus in the temple doing this thing, and they're astonished. His, his mama, just mamas are the same across the centuries. Why did you do this to me? Why have you treated me like this? Your father and I, we've been looking for you. We're great distress. We're in agony. You see, Mary's already feeling the tip of the blade that Simeon predicted would pierce through her heart. Hers was no ordinary boy. Then comes Jesus' answer, verse 49. This is the whole point that Luke is making. Jesus said, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? These are the first words Jesus speaks in the gospel, and they are profound. What else do you think I would be doing? Where else would I be? I must be here doing this. That little phrase in verse 49, must be, it's an important one in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus uses it of himself nine times in this Gospel. And every one of them has to do with the necessity of Jesus' divine purpose. For example, Luke 4.43, I must preach. 
Luke 9.22, I must suffer and die and be raised. Luke 13.33, I must go to Jerusalem and die. 17.25, I must suffer and be rejected by men. Luke 19.5, I must remain with Zacchaeus. 22.37, I must be reckoned with the criminals. 24.7, I must suffer and die and be raised. 24.44, I must fulfill everything written about me in the Scriptures. And here, I must be about my Father's business. Now, there's an interpretive addition in the English translation of your Bible in verse 49. The word house is not in the Greek, and neither is the word business, which some translations have. The verse literally in Greek reads, I must be about my father's this. I must be about the things of my father, the things I'm doing right now discussing my Father, expounding upon the reality of my Father, explaining my Father to others. Instruction in divine things. Jesus must be about the discussion of God, about the understanding of God, and about giving answers about God. Even from a young age, Jesus knew that his purpose was to reveal his Father to those who didn't know him. I must be in my Father's house doing this. What else would I be doing? So I have to wonder, if that is Jesus' must-be's, what are your must-be's? What, what must you be about? My little brother left his grandparents because he must be about pushing the red button. And what are the must-be's of your life? What are the things that you feel that you must be about, that you must do, that you can't miss? Perhaps it's acquiring some certain level of comfort in your life. Maybe you must be about achieving a certain level of financial security. Maybe you must be about blazing your own trail, making your own ways. Perhaps you must be about your job, about getting that promotion. Perhaps you must be about finding a spouse getting into the right college. Maybe you must be about your favorite sports team, your preferred political party. What are the must-be's of your life? Well, even if you haven't articulated it, your heart will tell you what the must-be's are of your life. They're the things that frustrate you the most when you feel they are far from you. They're the things that if you knew that you would never have them, it would feel like your life isn't worth living. These are the must-be's, the thing that you must be about. And here Jesus is telling us his must-be's 
He must be about the Father's things, revealing God's glorious grace to those who don't know Him for His Father's global glory. That is Jesus must be. And as followers of Jesus, His must-be's must be our must-be's. Like Him, we must be about the things of God, about listening to God's Word, bringing questions to God's Word, understanding God's Word, and then answering others with God's Word. In short, we must be about what Jesus is about. And as you heard earlier, of the nine must-be statements of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, five of them have to do with his death and his resurrection. This was Jesus' purpose, to reveal the glory of God's grace to sinners by dying on the cross in their place for their sins. His death and burial and resurrection was His necessary work. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, Pastor Matt has already addressed you once, and I'll address you again. I'm glad you're here. Being at church is the best place for you to be on a Sunday morning. But you must understand why Jesus came. You know, in one of Jesus' must-be statements, He said that he must suffer and die because people in his day just went about going about their own business, doing their own must-be's without any reference to him at all. They were doing their must-be's in sinful rebellion against God. Jesus said they went about eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, ignoring the fact that God's judgment was coming. So he had to suffer and die. Friend, is no different today. People in our day are going about their must-be's in active rebellion against God, and God's judgment is coming. When it does, my dear non-Christian friend, if you are found doing your must-be's without regard to Jesus Christ, you will be lost forever. Turn to the Lord today. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ be saved. As Pastor Matt said earlier, find someone around you and ask them how you can become a Christian and how you can be spared from God's judgment. And you can begin to live out the must-be's that we see in Jesus here today. Well, Jesus tells Joseph and Mary that he must be in his father's house about his father's things. And then Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary didn't understand what he was saying to them. Apparently, they had not fully comprehended who their boy was. His relationship with God as his father was far deeper than they knew. Let's finish the chapter, verses 51 and 52. This is where we'll end our time together. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Don't you just love Mary? Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 
Well, it wasn't time for Jesus to start his ministry just yet. That would not happen for another 18 years or so. So he leaves the temple with Joseph and Mary and returns home to Nazareth. And listen to this. Luke says he was submissive to them. The way Luke writes this verb indicates that he continued in active submission to his parents. Of course, the Bible says that Jesus was sinless. And he understood, as we should, that there is no expiration date on the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. I don't know what happened, but here in America, we think that once you turn 18, all of a sudden God doesn't care about that commandment in your life anymore. We don't have to honor our parents anymore. But when you turn 18, you just don't opt out of God's commandments. And a word for young people. Do you think Joseph and Mary were perfect parents? Of course not. Do you think that Joseph and Mary may have made some really dumb parenting decisions when they were parenting Jesus? Of course they had. And do you think Jesus, with divine wisdom, would have known that his parents were not parenting him in the right way? Of course he would. And yet Luke says he submitted to them. Jesus submitted to imperfect parents. And again, we see the mystery of the incarnation. That Jesus grew intellectually and physically and spiritually and socially. Luke says he increased in wisdom and stature and favor. That's the word for grace with God and with man. So you see, Jesus knows what it's like to grow. What it's like to experience the pain and frustrations of growing, of waiting. Jesus knows what it's like to have to wait until your real life starts. For him, it was 30 And it's important for us to know that Jesus, as God the Son, did not just download infinite knowledge in an instant into his brain. He grew like we grow. He learned like we learn. It is a fascinating mystery, the Incarnation. But at the very least, it teaches us that spiritual growth takes time that we must intentionally seek to grow spiritually by engaging in an active life in God's Word. If Jesus grew by listening and asking and putting things together and then giving answers, how much more do we need to intentionally grow by the same way? Additionally, it teaches us that spiritual growth is done in community. Jesus is in the temple discussing the things of God with others. And so Cornerstone Pickle Baptist, you need more than your Bible and a concordance and your living room in order to grow spiritually. God's word grows in you as it is studied, understood, and shared. So if you are not right now meeting regularly with a group of Christians to read the Bible, study the Bible, discuss the things of God, can I encourage you to start this week? Maybe it means coming to church at Sunday school 
to discuss the things of God with others. Maybe it means inviting someone that you know to read the Gospel of Luke together and to discuss the things of God. Be whatever you are about. Be about the Father's business. Here in a few minutes, our two churches are going to vote on the next steps in becoming one church with one voice proclaiming the excellencies of Christ together. And as the members prepare to cast their vote, may this text inform your decision. As Christian churches, we must be, our must be, is to preach Christ and Him crucified. About that, we have no choice. Your vote will determine whether or not we should seek to do this one thing as two churches or as one. The question before you today is, will we be more fruitful in this endeavor of preaching Christ and Him crucified together or more fruitful as separate? But in the end, what matters is that Christ is preached. So Cornerstone, this vote is not about a beautiful new facility, and more places to park. And Pickle Baptist, this isn't about a handsome preacher <laughs> and a crowd. Making that clear. What this is about is the effective ministry of God's Word in a people and through a people to the city to the unreached. There are important considerations, to be sure. Who does what? How it is done? What all of that looks like, those are very important matters. They will take time. There will be concessions. There will be changes. There may be even a few miscommunications or misunderstandings. We will move slowly and humbly and gently and carefully as the Spirit of the Lord directs us. So may God's grace and the Spirit of Christ and your commitment to keep Christ first inform your vote. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name kingdom come, your will be done. This church and this earth as it is in heaven. As we've seen today, Father, your Son, who is your delight, who is our Savior, even as a young man, was all about you in revealing your glory. We Christians, we know that glory. It was your grace in your Son that saved us from our sins reconciled us to you. For that we thank you, dear Father. We admit, Lord, that we have not allowed 
the scripture to inform our must-bes, but rather our sin, our selfishness, our culture. We've chosen the wrong things to be about many times. Would you forgive us for making our lives about ourselves and not about your glory, not about your word being preached in Piqua into the ends of the earth? And Lord, would you give us grace to walk in this repentance, to reorient our lives to be about the Father's things. Give us grace to serve, to give, spend ourselves on seeing Christ performed in others. Lord, make us like your son Jesus, who pleased you in all that he was and all that he did. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Your assurance of pardon comes from Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, where we read, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us.